0: All right, so good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. My name is TJ Jacobs, and you are listening to Finding Rhythm Podcast. This is episode six, season one. And for those who do not know, I am big on education. I've had a lot of years of experience with education in New York City, in D.C., in Virginia. So working with the youth and educating them is something that I am very passionate about. Our guest today, Erica Battle, talks about so many relevant issues dealing with education today, especially as a lot of students are learning remotely. So we talked about the rise in domestic abuse and child abuse that's happening right now in so many households and how educators are normally the front line responders to that. We talk about how educators are finding their own rhythm within learning remotely and teaching remotely. Erica really shares her story of her life and journey through the education system, ways that she's really reached out and grabbed the youth. We have such a great conversation and chat, and so many gems are definitely dropped towards the end of the episode. So definitely make sure that you listen all the way through, especially towards our conversation towards the end about so many matters. Without further ado, we have Erica Battle. All right. Greetings, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on Finding Rhythm Podcast. Today, we have a very special person coming on today. She is an educator. Her name is Erica Battle. So, Erica, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. So, can you give us a little background about you and let the audience get to know you?
1: Oh, sure. So hi, everyone. My name is Erica Battle. I am a veteran educator, although education was not what I wanted to do initially. Um, I began my career in education um, after I lost a job in public relations. So this started like right um, when the economy started to turn in the early 2000s. I was working with a family-owned firm and I was their uh, customer, kind of like their customer manager of the client. So I managed my client's experience. Um, I made sure that they got media and all of those things. And I managed that whole process. Well, you know, the economy started to turn and, you know, they needed to save money. I was not part of the family because they were taking this business back to their house. So I was out of a job. So I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so one of the things that I had always done throughout college was substitute teach. And so I found myself going to substitute teach because I, I mean, my, I had just gotten married. My husband and I had just bought a house. We had kids, so I needed a job. And so I began to substitute teach. Um, I actually took a vacant substitute position, and what that means is it was a position that could not be filled by the beginning of the school year. So the position was open, and they filled it with subs until they found a permanent teacher. Well, it just so happened that this position was vacant because the teacher passed away of cancer um shortly before the school year started, and the principal, you know couldn't find anyone to replace um, her. and so, um, I wound up going there. Well, what I didn't know was by the time I had got there, I was the sixth substitute that these kids had encountered. And so they had made it their mission to get rid of each sub. So whoever came, it was their mission for them not to be there long-term. And so what these students did not know, and they were seventh grade ELA, seventh grade English is where I was at, is that I had a seventh grade student I had a kid of my own. I had two other kids. And so, you know, and I needed a job. So I wasn't about to let them, you know, and they were 13. So I was not going to let them uh, push me out of this job. And so um, I wind up staying week after week after week. And so about the third week that I was there, the principal came to me and was like, hey, I found someone to take this position you know, um, can you stay though next week to help them, uh, kind of transition? I was like, oh sure. And so I stayed and, um, the teacher never showed up. And so the principal was like, wow. Okay. They didn't come. Well, do you mind coming back next week? Oh, fine. The same thing next week. Okay. I found someone to take this position. Do you mind staying to help them transition? I was like, oh sure. I'll stay. So long story short, no one showed. The principal, you know, was like, "Listen, you have been the only person that have stay- that has stayed with these students past one week. If I get your permit to teach, will you teach?" And um, I was like, "Well, what does that mean?" You know, I came out of public relations. So I had no familiarity with education. I was like, well, what does that mean? And so it basically meant that I would be um, a certified teacher for that one school year. Um, you know, I would get all of the benefits and, you know, I would just really have a job. And that's how I was looking at it. So that's how um, I began my career in education. So,
0: And so what was the biggest challenges that you faced so far in the classroom?
1: So um, currently I'm not teaching anymore. So currently I am an educational consultant, but really that very first year was the challenge. Um, after that first year, uh, the challenges that I experienced then n- no longer happened. Um, of course, because I met these students six weeks after school started, you know, we didn't have the benefit of developing a relationship. So I- I'm having to come on the back end and develop a relationship with students who had no intentions of at all of seeing me pass one week, right? Um, also, you know, it was past the six weeks because in my mind and the students' mind, I wasn't gonna be there. So, you know, uh, the challenge that existed that at that point was developing a relationship with these students and getting their behavior under control because they were wilding out. You know, they had been wilding out since the beginning of the school year. And so, um, that really was the biggest challenge. Was you know developing that relationship to get those students to um, respect and trust me, and then getting them to understand the importance of their education. So that that was the challenge, and it only existed that one year. You know, after that year, um, I kind of realized what I needed to do on the front end to ensure that I didn't experience anything like that again on the on the back end.
0: What were some ways that you did to get your students to trust you?
1: So, um, I, t- and I talk about this all the time. So one of the things that, um, I did was first of all, I, okay. So when, um, I was given, you know, my certification, well, my certification to teach that one year, um, the kids still, you know, they were like, I mean, you're a substitute. Who cares about what you're saying? So when, they, when I got my teaching license, I showed it to them and was like, no, really, I'm your teacher, you know, and it tells you I have a license. But, um, so one day, you know, I was just kind of sick of the kids and their behavior and not understanding the importance of, you know, why they weren't in school every day. So one day I had, um, this is just one thing. So one day I had brought my high school diploma in and my college degree and I set it on uh, my desk. Right. And then I shut my door. I locked it because <laughs> I was about to have a real courageous, truthful hard conversation with these students and i let them know i don't need seventh grade i don't need seventh grade i don't need high school and if i don't want to go back to college i don't have to because i have a degree um but you need it you need it and and you should be upset that you don't get your education every day regardless of who's giving it to you if someone is wanting to teach you which we all should as educators because that's why we're educators you should want this education. This is free. This is, this is your right. Um, and so, you know, I said some other things, of course. Um, and I told them, that, don't talk to me for the rest of the day. I will not to talk to you for the rest of the class period. After I had that conversation, I was done. I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't want to hear any noise at all out of them right? And so, you know, the next day, you know, they came in with a whole different attitude and mindset. And, you know, they basically, you know, were like, no one had ever talked to us like that, or, you know, wanted us to see the importance of our education. Um, No one had ever acted like pretty much that they even cared if these kids got an education or not. And, um, you know, of course, there were still a few bumps along the way because the shock factor of that conversation eventually wore off. But for the most part, the kids understood that I really wanted what was best for them. You know, I wasn't just there, you know, initially I was there to take a job, But as time grew and I decided to stay for the school year and, you know, become that licensed teacher, even if it's for, even if it was for that moment, I took that seriously. You know, I had a seventh grade son, so I would hate for someone to stand in front of him all day and not want to teach him anything, you know, and sometimes we look at kids in these um, urban areas as disposable um, and, and we look at, you know, what they don't have and we um making that a reason as to why they don't need or deserve any high level instruction but that's not how i felt about it you know it's not you know every kid deserves to be educated every kid
0: so and so how was that result for you on your end
1: Um, you know, (laughs) I had no intention of staying, actually. I had no intention of continuing to teach. Um, I actually wanted to go back into public relations. I loved public relations. Um, I'm a networker, naturally, so I loved meeting people and going to all of the events in the city and, you know, the media. I loved all of that. Um, I was there for it, so I had no intentions of teaching at all, and so what happened Um, and still okay after I'm about to tell you of something that happened and I still didn't have any intention of teaching. Um, So at the very end of the school year, I mean, I didn't know what else to teach. We have taken our standardized testing, and but I still needed to keep the kids engaged. So I engaged them in this activity. So I had already brought my high school diploma and degree. So I brought those two things back, but then this time I brought in my cap and gown. And I had the kids take pictures in my cap and gown holding either my high school degree or my college diploma, um, my high school diploma or my college degree. And I really didn't know what I was going to do with these things at first. I was just trying to give them a different mindset. You know, it was kind of like, you know, let's, let's do something. Um, you know, I don't care about what you're going to do after seventh grade, right? You know, it's kind of like teachers ask kids, what are you going to do once you get out of seventh grade? It didn't really matter to me. What I needed to know was what were you going to do when you get out of high school? right? You know, what? when you become an adult, what are your aspirations? You know, what do you aspire to be? To be? And some of these kids really didn't know. Um, you know, even back then, some of these students would be first generation high school graduates. Some of them would be first generation college graduates. And I wanted them to think in that. And so I had, I took all these pictures, I got them developed. And um, at the end of the school year, I decided to take the picture and I Glued it on a long piece of construction paper, and I had them do this essay. Um, It was called "His Story or Her Story," and what I did with every kid, as long as you turned in the essay, you know, we went through some corrections. So I was teaching them how to write. Um, I had took this essay and I mounted it on um, a piece of construction paper with their picture, and at the end of the school year you know when you do the end of the school year rewards and um all uh, award ceremony and all of that i didn't give one or two awards i gave awards to every kid that i had an essay for um and i mounted that picture because the kids wanted to know well, what are you gonna do with this picture and so I gave this um, picture and this award to the students, and um, it was amazing because, you know, first of all, they were like, "Oh my gosh, she's giving our pictures back!" You know, they, you know, once people started realizing what I were, was giving away, they were like, "Oh my gosh, those are our pictures!" And um, you know, um, I had them take some little oath, right? So I gave them out. It was probably like ninety kids you know I've had about a hundred so I had maybe about 10 kids that you know just decided they didn't want to do the assignment and they really felt kind of bad at the end because it was like oh my gosh she was really doing something with this um and so um those 90 kids I made them take an oath I don't even know what the oath was it was something I made up in the moment and um you know just making them pledge that they would do what they said they were going to do and you know I expected great things for from them and um you know, at the end, you know, at the end of all of that, they were crying and rushing me and was like, oh, my gosh, you loved us. You loved us. Um, and it was a, it was a really touching moment, you know, because you can tell that the kids were were really um, it really touched them that, you know, I would take the time, my own personal money. To do this for them. Um, and so, even at that point, I didn't really plan on teaching. Um, but I had a friend who had called me and was like, Hey, you need to come look at your data um, on how the kids did on their test. And even with me being this non trained teacher, really not even being able to teach the kids anything until, you know, the End of the first semester because of so much of the so many transitions that we were going through, those kids still made a 10% gain from what they did the previous year. Um, and so you know that really helped solidify in my mind the power of relationships, right? The power of relationships. Um, in their mind, you know, they began to work for me, really, they were working for themselves, but in their mind, they were working for Miss Battle. So, um it it was then after i saw the data and really had missed the kids and had found myself going back up to the school after the year was over just checking on the kids that i realized okay okay i think i want to teach so
0: it's it's such a fundamental thing that i think oftentimes we forget about but it's the relationship it's it's the main thing that reaches the kids. You know, it's it's not, it's not as complex as we as we think about it. You know, right. it's, it's a relationship. If we want the kids to work for us, you have to build that relationship. I I, I love that. So, how important is inclusion in the classroom for you?
1: Inclusion. Oh well inclusion is necessary you know um when you think about the um five competencies of the social emotional learning framework being uh socially aware and understanding how to um develop relationships is two of the um, competencies right um so if we we don't include everyone no matter how different or diverse then it's hard for us to understand the perspectives the feelings um or be compassionate to someone who is unlike us and so um and 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 a lot of times, really, you know, I could have a whole conversation about, um, you know, children who are, and I, and I hope you're talking about referencing like special education students and things like that. Is that is that what we're talking about? Is yep. that what you're talking about? so um i you know i have a whole uh different um attitude about um special education students you know sometimes our students are put in those environments for um in reasons that are not valid at all and and so um inclusion is 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 necessary you know um I mean, that's all I can say. It's it's necessary. It's one of those things that's necessary. You know, it's it's um, every kid deserves the right to have the the least restrictive environment for them so they can learn um, and learn from their peers and, and understand how to work with their peers. So it was very
0: necessary. How was quarantine life going for you?
1: <laughs> quarantine life is interesting. Actually, I just got off the road, so I was actually able to travel. Um, earlier this week to see one of my school's um, uh, school districts in Texas so that felt really good good. good, I know oh my gosh (laughs) it felt so good to be in the airport um, because before quarantine i was probably traveling 20 days a month and so uh, for me to have to be grounded that's what i felt like i really felt like i was grounded on punishment um the other
0: way but like but you meant grounded as in punishment <laughs> yes.
1: yes like i was on punishment <laughs> <laughs> So quarantine life has been interesting. You know, I've really had to learn how to pivot um, what I do now because, um, like I said, I'm a consultant now. So I'm not in the classroom. I don't have kids that I teach. Um, And it's um, a matter of, you know... Those in person experiences are totally different than the virtual experiences, and so a lot of school districts are not necessarily inviting um, outside consultants into their uh, virtual environment because now you know when you're virtual, you can um, allocate time totally different, and so it's been very interesting, but I mean sometimes it's needed, you know so
0: yeah um. And so what do, what do you see on your end with the schools that you've been working with? Have a lot of them been going back to school or a lot of them still virtual?
1: No, most of them are, are virtual. Um, it just It's just this one district in Texas that um, I know of my own personal schools that are not um, doing the virtual school. I mean, they have a few kids that opted to stay home. But other than that... Um, you know, their, their, their students came to school and the teacher said they were so excited. Um, this is a school district who, um, very, it's a remote part of Texas. I mean, they, even now, I think when we were talking, cause they do announcements every day, they had less than 20 cases in the entire town. Cause it's a very small town. Um, and so, um, you know, they're, they were re- re- very remote and rural. So, <laughs> You know their exposure is very limited, whereas the other schools I work with are are bigger in big cities, and so yeah, they're a hundred percent virtual, um, and it's a just it's an adjustment for them as well, you know, because you know, they're, you know, teachers are being asked, don't do this all the same that you do. Assign something to read, answer questions. And so now teachers are being challenged to um, be very innovative with their lessons. Um, You know, one of the things that I tell teachers, and it's very simple, when you're thinking about independent tasks for your students, If Siri can answer it, then it doesn't need to be assigned. So you need to think beyond Siri. I I mean, and that's the easiest way that I can relay to stop giving kids just these, you know, um, tasks that are just recall type of tasks that don't engage the critical thinking skills. If Siri can answer it, it doesn't need to be assigned. Think of something else. So.
0: So globally, 1.2 billion children are out of the classroom. What are your thoughts as so many students are moving, out of re- are moving to remote learning?
1: Um, eventually, it's, I mean, remote learning works for some, but not all. Period. Um, And so this will not I don't see foresee this being a new normal at all. I see this being maybe um, an option, you know, more more parents choosing the virtual as an option because they see that their students are doing better. But not all students can learn this way, just like, you know, um, not all students do well in that face to face um, learning environment right? Um, So, uh, you know, I I have a a neutral position on it. It works well for some kids, but for as a whole, we'll never just shut down schools. I will be totally surprised um, if schools never reopen because um, you have Uh, just as many kids who are unsuccessful as we have kids that are are being successful in this learning environment. So, especially as I see it unfold in um, larger districts, you know, I'm in, you know, parent groups where I just listen as a consultant so I can know where the problems are. So when I make having these conversations with school districts, I know what the pain points are because I've I've been in these uh, groups with parents, but I'm also in groups of teachers. Um, And so, Everyone is not successful in this environment. I understand that it's necessary right now so we can make sure that um, health-wise we're safe. But so far as as it relates to this being the um, new normal and how we roll out school in the future, yeah, I don't foresee it. I don't. Now, that's an Erica Battle opinion. I don't
0: foresee it. So... 66% 66% of black households have broadband service in 2019 and bigger population of black and brown communities are essential workers so the dynamic of learning for for the home has shifted right what advice do you have for some families who just are overwhelmed at this moment with pandemic you have so much going on but then also remote learning
1: Okay now what was the question? I know you told me those so what was what was um
0: so what suggestions do you have for families to still um, cater to their to their children uh, i mean
1: it's hard right i mean if you're talking about essential workers you're talking about you know people who are in grocery stores or these hourly workers so You know, it's really hard for those workers when, you know, a couple of things. One, they don't have the um, luxury of being at home necessarily when their kids are supposed to be on remote learning to make sure that the kids are logging on and getting their lesson. Two, they don't necessarily have the skill set available to themselves personally to help their children through this. Um, One of the things that I have been seeing, though, is um, larger districts have been partnering with people like the YMCA and these. Uh, and churches um you know one suggestion that i would have is as soon as they hear about those partnerships is to quickly act on it right um because you know you have families who have um the means who are creating these learning pods and i'm sure you've heard of these uh, of learning pods well you know
0: could you just explain um, that for someone who doesn't know
1: so, a learning pod is basically where a group of families get together and they create pods of, of children. You know, they all contribute to the pod financially and then they hire someone to come in and uh, work with their cho- students through remote learning. A lot of times it's a certified, a retired certified teacher or someone who has the skill set to work with their kids. Well, um, a, a lot of those pods are formed with people who have money because they're having to pay for the help. Um, and, and, you know, you don't see that in those, um, Social economic status when the social economic status is low, or that essential worker, that hourly worker. And so, you know, it's hard to give suggestions for them when it's they have so many other things that um, they're worrying about. You know, are my hours going to stay the same? Because, yes, the economy is going backwards. You know, um, you see stores, uh, businesses are having to cut back to make up for when. Um, the the lack of spending because, you know, the job loss is at 30 million and probably still growing. 30 million was a number that I knew about, uh, you know, 30 days ago. So, you know, it's so many other things that they have on their plate that, you know, me as an educator to say, well, do this and you should be doing this. That's selfish. Right. Um, But at the same time, you know, for going back from my earlier statement, virtual learning is not for everyone right and it, it it is a population of black and brown kids where virtual learning is not appropriate you know i want you to think about if i already have learning gaps right um, and then i'm not in a face-to-face learning environment where the teacher can work with me one-on-one and the teacher has to deliver something for everyone's benefit you know i'm still not going to get that individualized attention that i need as a student and then if my parent doesn't have the skill set my gaps just continue to grow and so you know one of the things that i will suggest is for them to look at the um, churches and the nonprofit organizations that have been partnering with schools to provide that additional um, support that that our students need a lot of time so they can be successful during this time so when they go back to school the gaps are not even you know wider
0: so tips for educators finding their own rhythm throughout this pandemic
1: Ooh, honey, flexibility and give yourself grace, right? Um, You know, you, we have to be flexible, especially in this learning environment. And, you know, another thing, um, another tip that I will say is that the preparation and planning for this learning and virtual environment is so different than face-to-face. You know, plan, you have to be very intentional when you are planning for the virtual learning environment, you know, Um, and that goes for me as well. You know, um, I was a veteran teacher, so I could switch something up in a hard, heartbeat and you would never know it in a face-to-face environment because I I knew what I could do in a moment's notice, you know, with my kids in front of me. But, you know, this is a space where we really have to be intentional with what we're delivering for a couple of reasons. Um, One is now you have parents looking over your shoulder, ready to scrutinize anything that you do. I mean, seriously, it's so funny. It's like parents are really, you know, looking for any small thing to criticize at this point. So, you know, really being intentional and prepared and planning for this moment will be your friend, right? But also understanding that this is a moment for flexibility and a moment to give yourself grace, um, to give yourself grace as the educator, but also to give students and families grace too as we all navigate this new um type of education for this moment.
0: Yeah, I just I just think everyone's just in their own form of their own discovery. Everyone is mm-hmm. trying to find it and I, grace is the perfect word for that because <laughs> Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a trip.
0: It's a trip. So books you're reading now?
1: Um, you know what? I'm in my office and so I'll see if I can pull it. Um, it is called I just had it. I wanted to show it to you um that's what happens when you clean up so i straightened up my office (laughs) and when you clean up you put stuff up because you're trying to clean up but you can't (laughs) find it it is called one of them is called reading for their lives Mm -hmm. um and it's a book about teaching african-american males so i read so much okay so I never read anything cover to cover. I kind of read things to pull out bits and pieces of information, right? Because um, that's just how I am as a, as a, as a reader. Um, I also am reading this book too, um, Fostering Resilient Learners. Um, and this is a book for um, creating trauma-sensitive classrooms, right? Um, and, and we have to understand that this is one of those times where we do need to think about the resiliency of the kids that we're teaching because um, this situation has been traumatic for them, for students as well. You know, I want you to think about how abruptly things ended and how we had to go and shut down mode. You know, they didn't get to tell friends, bye kids didn't have to, you know, you have seniors who did not get to have their high school graduation. You have incoming student freshmen who are not getting to have that college, that normal college experience because of all of these things. Well, how do we create um, a trauma sensitive environment, even if the trauma experience was kind of indirect? You know, you have kids whose parents who um, have lost jobs and you know it's just so many things in the air and so um, one of the reasons why I'm reading this is I'm doing a training next week um, on you know making sure that we are being mindful of our students and um, their needs as people um, before we just you know start throwing all these academic things on them how can we make sure that we're being mindful of what they need um, emotionally
0: first so
1: you know I'm reading you know just
0: I mean even even on that point so much has happened and it's kind of like there's still a conversation that i feel needs to needs to be had where i don't even know you know you don't know if the parents are still having this conversation with their kids about what's happening in the world but we have like um we have all the violence that's happening like you know um black black lives matter and, and 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 just having that conversation to communities or just students about what's happening but then also you know um chadwick boseman yeah, um, yeah. I through, you know and and, and he yeah. died and so i feel like right now so many kids are just seeing so much hurt so much yeah. confusion so much loss and it's it's important to still to still be a person and like what you said earlier where still having that relationship and building that relationship for your classroom so that your your students know that you're not just worried about these test results you're not just worried about this data you know which is which is just which is which is so important as well. Um, can you touch on the the, the trauma that's happening um, in the household, the rise in trauma and as and as it pertains to educators being the front line and that being a little bit different now that we're virtually?
1: it is you know um one of the things statistically um domestic violence has risen as well as child abuse sexually and physically um and you know as educators we could tell those things when we saw our kids face to face and now it's very hard to um for us um to be able to be that first line of defense for kids who can't say anything um and so You know, it's hard for us. All we can do is kind of be mindful. You know, it's now an argument. Are kids required to have their cameras on or should they not be required to have their cameras on? And so, um, you know, and... You know the argument that educators have and I see both sides you know Um, I see one side is saying okay it's an evasion of privacy and you know kids might not have a space to be on virtually but as educators that's how we know when kids are engaged engaged in the learning that's how we can tell just by looking at their face that they have questions or they're with us but we can also look at them and and notice any bruises or um, any kind of changes of mood and so as educators, it's hard for us to uh, to do that now because we don't have that face to face touch point with our students. We're now having to do it from a camera, right? Um, and and so we we really just have to be intentional. We have to be intentional, but then at the same time, we 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 can't overstep our boundaries as well, you know, um, because we know that there have been accusations sometimes that because we, you know, are trying to be that first line of defense, but then they have no merit. But then there are others where, you know, what was it? Maybe about three weeks ago when the student was on Zoom, her father came in and killed the mother. Um and I think that happened in Florida. Well the teacher you know, she was that first line of defense because she heard, you know, the commotion in the house and she muted her microphone. So, so the parents couldn't hear her and was able to call authorities because she knew something was going on. And so, you know, again, it's one of those things now where the face-to-face learning environment is very crucial in helping us um, stop some of these um, long-term abuse situations. So, you know, it's unfortunate
0: it's uh, yeah
1: it is it's so unfortunate
0: what does legacy mean to you
1: um uh, chad (laughs) Bozeman. he um left a long term a, a a lifetime legacy right um and it was more it wasn't the money that he left it was the um the feelings that he gave us the you know, it's amazing. Um, I looked at all the movies that he filmed while he was fighting this fight. And that once, no one knew about it except his family, right? Um, if you can't tell me that's not a legacy to walk in your purpose and to even do it when, when it's not comfortable, um, but still being able to uplift others in the process. Um, and give people a feeling of hope, you know, um, give people the feeling of I can accomplish my dream. And just, you know, leaving, um, a, a, you know, your, your name is, to me, legacy is when your name is said beyond your life. It, it continues on. Martin Luther King, he left a legacy. You know, we're, we're still talking about things that, you know, and the nuggets that he left us. And it's not even financial. You know, of course, we all want to leave something financial to our kids. But a legacy is, is what we leave that others can still hold on to and, um, to and to continue to walk and fulfill the destiny that has been laid out for them.
0: What is your vision for the world?
1: Um, Togetherness. (laughs) A world of togetherness. You know, it's just so, um, it's amazing how divided we have become, even in the last, like, six months. Right? Um, And it's, I I just, I'm baffled, really. I really don't have words for it. You know, Um, how divided we are. Um, And... When in all actuality, if we were to work together and, you know, we could accomplish so much if we was working together and not trying to feel like what I have to say is what's right. And if you don't listen to what I have to say, then you know, we're enemies. And so I look for a world of togetherness, of unity, a world where we can just love each other and appreciate um, the diversity and um, what each person brings to the table. You know, God made us different for a reason because he knows that that those differences um, and when they come together is what makes the beauty. You know, I want you to think about a cake. Every ingredient in the cake is totally different but if we omit one ingredient from that cake the cake will will not be what it you know the cake won't be a good cake you know because all of those ingredients work together to create that deliciousness and so I look for a world when we can understand that um, our differences contribute to the bigger picture more so than than our likeness
0: amazing where can we find you on social media? What are some things to look out for?
1: Um, so on social media, um, every all of my handles are the Erica Battle, um, and so it was because Erica Battle was taken. I always tell people that it was because Erica Battle was taken, so I had to put the B in front of it. It just sounds so cool, The Erica Battle. So every everywhere that you would find me on Twitter, I'm the Erica Battle uh LinkedIn even on LinkedIn I'm the Erica Battle and on Instagram I'm the Erica Battle. So, you know, I've been kind of quiet since the, the um pandemic hit, you know? Um
0: okay. It's perfectly okay <laughs> everyone to take breaks from social media. It is okay.
1: Yeah, and I have, you know, it's I have been quiet from my voice just, you know, because what I have noticed is um you it's like social media, you're supposed to be free to express how you're feeling, but you're not really free, because people attack you for expressing how you're feeling, and so during this time, especially during education, you know, education is so political, and everyone wants to have the the best train of thought, or the, you know, the tweet that goes viral, that I've really just taken a step back, and I'm, I'm more of a spectator, just kind of, you know, um, observing how this thing is, is playing out, so so, um, you know, uh, I'm working on a revamp of my book. I've wrote, written a book. It's called Who Are You? A Guide to Help Adolescents Navigate Through the Social and Emotional Issues of Life. And so I'm kind of, you know, in that space of I released it in 2016. And it's time to do a, a phase two, a, a, re- a version two of that book. So, you know, the that's world is where ready. you can- Yeah, <laughs> Yes, we are. Army. <laughs> and so that's where I'm at so far.
0: Erica Battle, thank you so much for coming on today and spending your time.
1: All right, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: All right, so hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Head on over to our Instagram and let us know how you're feeling. Uh, If you don't follow us yet, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Finding Rhythm Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify and be on the lookout for so many great and wonderful things coming Have a great day. You are amazing.